Hey guys, this is Jules. Just a real quick note. In this episode, we'll be talking about some difficult topics, particularly racism and the difficulties that the people of color face, the bigotry, persecution they face. In the story that Deacon Harold Brooks Sivers tells, there are two occasions where he uses a word that was often used uh, in reference to Father Augustus Tolton, and he is simply quoting what was said about Father Augustus Tolton. But because I know many of you are listening with small children, and because I know that for some of our listeners, this word might represent the worst moment of their lives, I chose to censor this word, bleep it out. So I just want to give you a heads up. If you don't like that I did that, if you think I should have used the word, reach out to me and I'd love to dialogue with you about that. Okay, that's all. I hope you enjoy the show and I just hope you take it to heart because it's so important. I grew up in a mostly white parish. The people there are very nice. You know, we were one of a handful of, of black families there. And we didn't just didn't learn a lot about black saints or ethnic saints pretty much at all in grade school. Or saints, even saints from the continent of Africa or, or anything like that. So, you know, so it would have been great to have seen a book about Father Tolton, even though he wasn't a saint, it would have been great to, to have a book like this, like the one I wrote, to be able to connect the richness and beauty and truth of our faith to, uh, to a, a man who endured so much, but yet with, with grace and with connecting himself deeply to God's love and, and life-giving communion was able to, you know, to live beyond all the hardships that he endured to be able to faithfully carry out the work that God had for him as a priest in his vocation. This is the story of Father Augustus Tolton in the post-Charlottesville era. It's August 11th, 2017. I was lying in bed, unable to settle down for some reason. I don't really remember why. The events of my day were replaying over and over again in my mind. So I decided, like most of us do in these situations, to grab my phone. And for some reason, I decided to read a little bit of the day's news. Now, I never, ever do this. (laughs) I am terrible about keeping up with daily news and current events in the way that I should. But for some reason that night, I just felt like I wanted to. I think there was some stuff going on with North Korea or something like that. So I thought I would read a little bit about it. So I type CNN into my phone and the screen brightly shining as I squint my eyes to read. And I read and I reread the headline, which I can't seem to fully grasp in that moment. The front page story, the first thing you see on CNN's webpage said, why white nationalists are drawn to Charlottesville. And my heart started to beat and beat through my chest faster and faster. And I sat up straight and tapped my husband frantically on the shoulder. 
we need to pray now, I told him, because I knew what that title meant, that headline. My mom had been telling me about the conflict in the weeks leading up to that weekend. But in the busyness of my life, I had forgotten all about it. I am now living thousands of miles away from Charlottesville, and I had forgotten. I had forgotten about the pain and confusion and the craziness happening in the town in which I was raised, where my family still is. And in that moment, for some reason, I knew what would come next. I knew it would be terrible, and I knew we just had to pray. We begin tonight with that breaking news, a horrific scene in Charlottesville, Virginia, a white nationalist rally that descended into deadly violence and chaos. The image is just coming in, a car plowing into a crowd of demonstrators protesting against those white nationalists. A 32-year-old woman killed a number of severe injuries, many life-threatening. A driver has been taken into custody. In the year and the half after the horrible events after that weekend. Me and so many people I know have tried to make sense of how much hate and chaos could come to the surface in the city which we love. How was this Charlottesville? By the way, I have a little bit of a cold, just letting you all know. <laughs> I, the show must go on. I felt like I needed to offer a disclaimer there. But as we close Black History Month, I knew I wanted to talk about these issues in a way which got at the heart of my own questions. Because even though the white supremacist rally in my hometown was mainly attended by outsiders, I had come to the hard reality over the last year that it was also an event planned by locals. The bottom line for us today is this. We have for too long avoided talking about these issues because they are uncomfortable, harsh realities, which frankly might not affect most of us. But the events of August of 2017 forced me and many I know to come to the realization that we simply can't avoid talking about these things anymore. In our church in particular, we need witnesses to something more, something greater. The gospel demands us to act, and our tradition has graced us with a history of people who have learned to navigate the racist, bigoted history, which we for too long have refused to address for some reason in our church, at least in a way that seems practical and real. So we can learn from them. We can learn from these witnesses. We can let their example guide ours. Let their lives help us to navigate ours. My name is Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. I am a permanent deacon in the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon, and I'm a full-time speaker and author and radio and television host on the Eternal Word Television Network. I called Deacon Harold to ask him about his new book, about one of his heroes, and a hero for all of us. And the book is called Father Augustus Tolton. But first, before we dive into Deacon's book and the life of this extraordinary man, Father Tolton, let's learn a little bit about the book's author. Deacon Harold was born in Barbados in the West Indies. He was the first generation of his family to come to the United States when he was very young. His mother converted to Catholicism, and as a result, being the oldest in his family, he was the first baptized Catholic of his entire extended family. 
After his family moved to the United States, Deacon's mother enrolled him and his siblings into Catholic schools, where he found a home for his entire educational experience all the way up through college. I thought since I was 11 or 12, I might have a vocation to the priesthood. When I got to high school, my, it was run, my high school, St. Benedict's Preparatory School in Newark, New Jersey, was run by Benedictine monks. And so I did their come and see program all four years of high school. And after college and working for a year, I joined the Benedictine, the monastic community. But after a short while with the Benedictines, Deacon's mother got very ill and almost passed away. He left the monastery to take care of her, and during that time away from the monastery, he attended the wedding of a college friend. And it was there, as so many love stories go, (laughs) when God had a different plan for his life than he had originally thought. He met his wife at that wedding and eventually married and discerned a call to the diaconate, of which he was ordained in 2002. And after several years in a career in campus law enforcement, God stepped in again and changed the path of Deacon's life. And I had a career in campus law enforcement, but left that in June of 2012 to speak and to write full-time, which I've been doing uh, ever since that time. Deacon Harold has led a remarkable life. He's overcome so much and shared the goodness and love of our Lord with thousands all over the world. But even he would admit it was the powerful witnesses of so many who had gone before, which shaped him into the man he is today. And perhaps no one had quite the impact on his life, that of Father Augustus Tolton. When I was in uh, seventh grade, which was the age for confirmation in my archdiocese in Newark, um, I was looking for a saint, to, uh, for a name for a saint to choose. I wanted one that looked like me. And so those were the back in the days of the card catalogs, you know, no fancy computers and stuff back then. <laughs> so I was, when I was searching through black saints, I happened to come across Sister Hemisat's book. Now, obviously, he was, he's not a saint, but I, I happened to come across the book, and that's the first time I was introduced to, to Father Tolton. The book Deacon is referring to, by the way, is an incredibly comprehensive and beautiful biography by Sister Carolyn Hemseth, written in 1973, called From Slave to Priest. So fast forward to 2005, when Ignatius Press actually bought the rights to this original book and printed a second edition. And in turn, Ignatius Press reached out and asked Deacon Harold to write the foreword for this book. And this process reawakened Deacon Harold's interest and his love for Father Tolton. Deacon Harold in recent years has been instrumental in helping to advance Father Augustus's cause for sainthood from the Archdiocese of Chicago. But in his heart, he felt he wanted to add to the story. He wanted people to know the extent of the impact Father Tolton had had on his own life. I always felt I should write not a book about his life, because it's already a book about his life, but what what lessons we can learn from his life. And so EWTN Publishing approached me about writing a book. And the first thing that came to my mind was the book that I that I've always wanted to write about Father Tolton, you know, the great gift that his life is to us. Now, a little bit about the format and structure of the book for a minute. It is not a comprehensive biography about Father Tolton that, like I said, has already been written by Caroline Hemseth. 
Now, instead, this book is a careful study of certain church teachings and how Father Tolton's life can be a witness for us to those teachings. Now, in doing this, Deacon Harold is able to achieve two things. First, it is very much a case for sainthood (laughs) for Father Tolton. Deacon Harold does not try to hide this fact. It reads as evidence for his cause, which might be presented to Rome. But there was this other rather remarkable thing which happened while I was reading the book. It's a book which summarizes the beauty and truth of certain church teachings. And on the cover of this book is a picture of this holy black man. Think about that for a moment. How beautiful and how remarkable that is. Deacon is pointing out that authentic holiness, which we all should be pursuing, can be found in the example of a black priest. We'll get a little bit more into this later, but I can't stress enough how important and beautiful this is, how powerful this is for people of color in our church, what this would mean to so many people of color who have for too long been ostracized and persecuted, sometimes even from within the walls of our church. Well, the first chapter is just a summary of his life for people who are not who aren't familiar with him. But then after that, I talk about building strong families building a culture of life, the power of prayer, finding joy in God's mercy, all, all the different things that we're dealing with today that we can draw strength from and learn from by looking at the, these different aspects of life through the lens of Father Augustus Tolton. Enter into the lens of Father Augustus Tolton and the lessons of his life, faith, and strength for all of us today. He was born a slave in 1854 in Brush Creek, Missouri. He, his father escaped through the Underground Railroad but died early in the Civil War to fight to free his family. His mother, brother, and sister escaped to the Underground Railroad to Quincy, Illinois. They attended the Irish parish in Quincy, by the way, the only parish which would allow Black Catholics to actually worship. And even then, persecution persisted. When he was growing up, you know, he, they faced tremendous racism from parishioners saying things like, you know, we're going to leave the Catholic faith if those continue to worship with us. We're going to pull our kids from Catholic school. We're going to stop giving money if they continue to worship here. From a young age and through the mentorship of a kind priest, Father Tolton began to feel a call to the priesthood. And as he entered his teens, he sought to make his dream a reality. There was just one problem, however. Every seminary in the United States rejected him because he was black. So they uh, appealed to Rome through the Franciscan order. One of the Franciscan priests wrote a letter to his superior in Rome explaining the situation. That person passed on the information to, to the Vatican, and they decided to take Augustus and train him as a priest. Now, the Vatican, praise God, welcomed Father Tolton very warmly. And as Deacon recounts in his book, some of the best, most joyful years of Father Tolton's life were spent in the Eternal City. But Father Tilton knew he couldn't stay on the mountain for long, (laughs) and that poor, marginalized members of his home needed him so desperately. So after his ordination, he was sent back to Quincy, Illinois, 
sent back, unfortunately, to the same horrible bigotry he faced before he left. So he welcomed everyone to come to his parish now that he was a priest. But now the other white priests didn't like that. So they called him priest behind his back. They told the parishioners, the white parishioners that went to his parish, it didn't count for their Sunday, uh, Sunday obligation if they worshipped at his church. Things got so bad in Quincy that despite many attempts to live peacefully with the racist priests and an incredibly complicitly racist bishop, Father Tolton decided to leave Quincy for Chicago, where he was welcomed by the archbishop. There, Father Tolton poured his life into serving his community. All were welcome with Father Tolton. Black, white, immigrant families. He worked hard to fundraise for a new church building, even at one point seeking the counsel and financial aid of St. Catherine Drexel. But unfortunately, his dedication and his love of his community came at the worst price. And in 1897, Father Tolton died at the age of 42 of heat stroke. Deacon Harold, reiterating what he wrote in his book, says Father Tolton basically worked himself to death, serving the poor and the marginalized in his parish. So what can we learn from the incredible life of Father Augustus Tolton? I don't think there has been an interview that I have thought about more honestly than my chat with Deacon Harold, because there was just so much I feel we can learn about the life of these two incredible men. So for this final section, I'm going to attempt to draw three lessons from the life of Father Tolton and what we can learn as a church as we navigate the difficult but necessary conversations we need to have about race today. Remember, this book series is all about taking books which are speaking to particular moments in our current history. So for our first lesson, it's this. We must foster a love of diversity in our church, beginning even at an early age. I grew up in a mostly white parish. The people there are very nice. You know, we were one of a handful of, of black families there. And we didn't just didn't learn a lot about black saints or ethnic saints pretty much at all in grade school or saints, even saints from the continent of Africa or, or anything like that. So, you know, so it would have been great to have seen a book about Father Tolton, even though he wasn't a saint, it would have been great to, to have a book like this, like the one I wrote, to be able to connect the richness and beauty and truth of our faith to, uh, to a, a man who endured so much, but yet with, with grace and with connecting himself deeply to God's love and, and life-giving communion was able to, you know, to live beyond all the hardships that he endured to be able to faithfully carry out the work that God had for him as a priest in his vocation. Deacon Harold, like Father Tolton, grew up without a present father. Deacon Harold's parents divorced when he was very young. He, like Father Tolton, knew what it was like to be different from the people surrounding his life, knew what it was like to be raised by a single mother, knew what it was like to face the daily trials of racism and bigotry. 
But think about what Deacon just said, as well as what he reiterated earlier. He wanted to learn about people, about saints, who looked like him. It is very easy for us to scoff at this idea. But over the past decade or so, a lot of research has been done in the area of representation. In the arts, in business, in sports, you get the picture. And overwhelmingly, researchers have found the benefits of representation on the psychological and emotional health of minority populations, particularly the youth. If we want our future generations, and let's be honest, adults too, to have healthy, Christ-centered relationships, to see all of their brethren the way God sees them, then we must foster more diversity at a younger age in our churches. We must teach saints from all over the world, not just European saints who might make us feel more comfortable. We must talk about heroes like Sister Thea Bowman, Mother Mary Lang, and the many, many other Black Catholic heroes of our American history. And this means, by the way, acknowledging that race exists in the first place. This is an okay thing to do. It helps no one to try to sanitize these discussions by saying that we're all the same. We can acknowledge the gift of diversity in our American culture and let people be as they are. Which brings me to the second lesson I took away from talking with Deacon Harold. When people of color tell us their stories, We need to listen to them, and we need to believe them. I think being able to just look at what God sees when they look at someone and not what the culture, um, you know, says, you know, and I, I, you know, it's just frustrating for me, too. You know, even sometimes happens to me, like if I'm in an elevator and then if I walk in there and there's a, a person in there, sometimes they get scared, you know, and it's frustrating. You know, but can uh, you can you see that fear, Deacon? You can see the fear. Oh yeah, I remember once I was in Chicago, and I was dressed in a suit and a tie, had my Deacon pin on. You know, I walked into Elver, and there was a woman in there, like a a, a a younger white woman with a. And when I walked in, and I smiled, and she clutched her purse and moved to the back of the elevator, and you know she looked scared. And I was like, oh, boy, here we go. So I didn't say anything to her. I just turned around and, and uh, faced the elevator door and pushed my floor. I didn't say anything to her, got off on my floor and walked out of the elevator. You know, and I was frustrated. I was like, why was she? Now, maybe something traumatic happened to her in her past. And that could be true, but I didn't do it. Right. You know, so so why was she scared of me specifically? I'm so sorry. I'm you know, so- no, that's all right. No, that's all right. No, I. Uh, hmm. So 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 you know what the I think the lesson that I, that I draw from Atalta's life, just like Mother Teresa, is just you got to look at how God sees people. Like the example I always use in First Samuel 16. When Samuel goes to the house of Jesse at God's command to anoint the new king, he so Jesse lines up seven of his sons and none of them are David. And so he goes to the first son, Eliab, and he goes, ah, oh, he's probably saying to himself, this guy looks like a king. You know, this guy's like kingly. And he goes <laughs> to pour the oil and the Lord says, nope, not him. And he says, well, wait a minute. I'm at the right house. There's Jesse standing over there. Here's all the sons. What's the problem? And the Lord says to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature because I have not chosen him. He said, you know, man looks at the outward appearance. The Lord looks on the heart. 
Right. And the heart is the place where, uh, for the Israelites, it was called the seat of the will. It was the place where your desire for God lives inside of you. Because that's where God can move you and change and change your life is in your heart. And so we need to start looking at people's hearts and, and look at people the way God sees them instead of allowing this culture to dictate to us, you know, how we should be looking at people solely based on what they look like on the outside. And for Tekin, this journey starts with simple, honest, hard conversations with each other even when we disagree on policy and politics. So what we need to do is to, like I said, engage in more serious dialogue where we're learning how to respect each other and our differences. Again, maybe agreeing to disagree, but at least having a a serious and significant conversation, having an open and honest discussion uh, about about how we see God in each other. And it is here, which brings me to my third and final lesson of my talk, about Father Augustus Tolton with Deacon Harold. Throughout our conversation, Deacon reiterated this single thread of Father Tolton's life. No matter his circumstances, no matter the horrible treatment he received or the bigotry he faced, he always sought to seek the face of God in everyone. Father Tolton would have had every reason to disdain the church because of how he was treated, particularly by the ordained clergy. And yet, he stayed. He loved the church for who she really is, not because of the sinful and awful actions of his fellow men. And it's because there would have been an inspiration how he endured all of that, but yet was able to see, still see the beauty of the faith in the midst of all the ugliness that's going on around him from the people who claimed that they were Catholic. But, you know, but uh, lived in a way that's contrary to the faith. He's still focused on the, the beauty and the truth of the teaching, despite the people. This holy perspective, this intentional desire to truly see everyone as God's children was the hallmark of Father Tolton's life and a central message to all of us. And it shapes everything that Deacon himself believes, including how he understands the role we all have, black and white, to combat the stereotypes our culture has forced us to believe about ourselves. I'm curious, you talk about in your book, I'm thinking pages 106 to 107, you talk about kind of a multifaceted approach to addressing and combating racism. You talk about dialogue a lot in that section, which I like. But you also talk about the responsibilities of black communities. And you say this this sentence, which really stood out to me, you said, ideologies that present black Americans only as victims are dangerous and infantilizing and do not respect the legacy of Father Tolton. Could you maybe uh, expand on that? I thought that was just a really interesting idea and observation. Yeah. So, um, so sometimes we talk about racism. As I mentioned that racism is a, is a learned behavior. Right. So, so we just can't we just can't look outside of the community and say, you know, well, this is the whole issue uh, of what's going on. People just look at us and, and say, well, this is you know, call us names or whatever. Looking at racism is more systemic. So we also need to look at having respect for ourselves as a race or, and, and as a culture as well. So it, it can't just be, okay, 
stop calling us names, look at us, you know, for who we are. If who we are doesn't really reflect who we truly are made in the image and likeness of God. So we also have to look within ourselves as well when we're where we're dealing with these issues of race. Let me clear up something for a minute here. Deacon is not saying that there aren't deeply systemic problems with race in our country, but he is speaking as a black man who loves his community, honestly, about the problems which he sees. And as Deacon said to me many times, you are free to disagree in terms of policy, but to censor his opinion on this matter, if you do disagree with this sentiment, would be missing an opportunity for deeper dialogue and understanding. Because remember, Deacon is speaking based on his own experience within these very marginalized communities. I I look at myself. I'm an immigrant to this country. You know, my my parents weren't rich. We grew up in a weak wake section, uh, near the weak wake section of Newark, New Jersey, not a great area. You know, people in my neighborhood were not well off by any means. But and so be able to come out of that and to achieve the things that I'm able to do despite everything that's going on in the culture, but we can't, we can't use the things of our past to make excuses. So, you know, the past helps shape us into the person that we are today, but our past does not determine our future. You know, so we, we have to take responsibility for building strong families and for um, presenting ourselves in a way that people will respect us. So if we don't respect ourselves, then no one's going to respect us. And if we keep, you know, doing black on black crime, um, you know, we people talk about the white people, the police building us. We kill we kill more of our, our own people than mm-hmm. any white people ever do kill us. And we're aborting our children more. More black children are aborted in New York City than are born alive. Right. You know, and that's 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 nobody's response. That's on us. So we have it's both and it's not either or it's both and yes we have to look at the outside uh, elements of racism but we also have to look at within ourselves and say you know are we going to continue because as long as we have that kind of mentality we're still slaves. I sat all day with Deacon's words after we spoke. I emailed him a bit back and forth to clarify a few things. His words were hard to hear. And I disagreed a little bit with some of the sentiment. For example, you could argue high abortion rates among black Americans stems from an early dedication to eugenics among white abortion advocates. Now, this is something I think Deacon would agree with. But, you know, high abortion rates could also stem from fewer economic opportunities for black women in order to help them raise their children. And all of this, of course, stemming from decades and centuries long oppression that black women have faced. But I thought more about our conversation, and I realized how good it is to wrestle with these things. For goodness sakes, how often are we having these kinds of conversations with one another? These real, raw, honest conversations, even if we potentially disagree about policy. It's these types of conversations which we are so often not having in the walls of our churches. We are letting the culture dictate the conversation about race, but for Pete's sake, we need to claim a spot at the table, Catholics, because the gospel has a lot to say about the dignity of each human being.
black family in the white church. Pops went to mass in some broke shirts. Mama made sure we never missed a thing. Blue-eyed Jesus looking down on me. Brown skin always seemed to be the enemy. Well, I don't know where I fit in. If life is a sin for me, do I have This song that you're hearing, by the way, is by Ike Nodola. It's called Your Table. And I highly, highly recommend listening to a podcast called Song and Story by Kevin Hyder and his interview with Ike. It will really help you understand just a bit about what our brothers and sisters of color go through every day, even in the walls of our churches. But I have to be honest with myself for a minute here. I wish I could say that I began this journey with the genuine desire to learn about another's experience and perspective as my primary motive. But honestly, and it really hurts to say this, it was at least at the beginning a very selfish journey. I wanted to figure out how the hell Charlottesville happened in August of 2017. In other words, how did I miss this? How was I so blind to what was happening in my hometown? Me, me, me. But that kind of journey will get us nowhere. Because the message of Charlottesville isn't the shock value of those two awful days. The message is more subtle. And we, all of us, need to keep our eyes open. Acts of racism like that are quite frankly few and far between. That's the exception, not the norm. The the norm is being pulled over driving while black. Right. You know, you're you're in a neighborhood where you typically don't the police officers don't see black people and you see a black person driving and pull them over, just wondering what they're doing in that neighborhood. You know, when the guy could be looking for a Chick-fil-A or something <laughs> like that. Right. You know, or, or what I experienced in the elevator or people are still making decisions on job interviews. The, the black guy and the white guy. Well, let's take the white guy because he looks more like what what our company wants to represent to our to our consumers and to our uh, right. to our advertisers. And so, I mean, that that's the kind of thing that's still very, very prevalent. The the sad and tragic shootings like what we saw there, you know, it's as horrific as they are. Again, I. I think those are the exceptions rather than rather than the norm. But the fact that something like that still happens in this day and age still shows that we still have a long way to go. Right. Um, and that and that we again, we need to start looking to seeing God in the other people in front of us instead of letting allowing the culture to dictate the narrative to us about race. Father Augustus Tolton lived a life dedicated to this central idea. Everyone is created and loved by God. We are all made in God's image, and as a result, we bear in the responsibility of treating everyone in the same way Father Tolton did, recognizing and respecting the image of God in others. Because here's the thing I realized after talking to Deacon. His tough love for the Black community is not coming from a place of condemnation. He is entirely motivated by love. 
He wants each of us, from the white members of the church who might choose to not see and believe the racism in their own communities, to the black men and women struggling to see their own worth and dignity, he wants each of us to be the God-bearers we are called to be. My story that I want heard A black kid growing up in the suburbs White God, white cops, white preachers White shows, white songs, white teachers hey, See the world through another's eyes Maybe learn how to empathize Oh, with the brother on the outside One final closing remark. This past November, November of 2018, the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops put out their first pastoral letter regarding racism in several decades. This letter is called Open Wide Our Hearts, and it is a remarkable, beautiful gift to our church. And it stinks because I would wager most of my listeners, I included, had no idea that this had even come out. I think just in the noise of the news and unfortunately in the craziness of the church scandals. But I highly recommend that you go back and you find this letter and that you sit with it, especially as we approach Lent that you understand what we all can do, how we all can combat the sin, the awful sin of racism. And in closing, I'm going to read a section from this beautiful letter and just ask that you sit with it and that you ask the Lord how you can be a better ally, a better servant of his love for all his people. The injustice and harm racism causes are an attack on human life. The church in the United States has spoken out consistently and forcefully against abortion, assisted suicide, euthanasia, the death penalty, and other forms of violence that threaten human life. It is not a secret that these attacks on human life have severely affected people of color who are disproportionately affected by poverty, targeted for abortion, have less access to health care, have the greatest numbers on death row, (laughs) and are most likely to feel pressure to end their lives when facing serious illness. As bishops, we unequivocally state that racism is a life issue. Accordingly, we will not cease to speak forcefully against and work toward ending racism. Racism directly places brother and sister against each other, violating the dignity inherent in each person. The Apostle James commands the Christian, show no partiality as you adhere to the faith in our glorious Lord, Jesus Christ. Thanks to Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, who was just so gracious in letting me interview him about his new book, Father Augustus Tolton. Please go to our website for links to how to buy this book. 
Thank you so much to Ike Ndolo, who let us use his amazing song, Your Table. I'll also have a link to that song on our website. We'll be back in two weeks to talk about our new book, A Spiritual Classic, which I'm going to leave a secret. God bless you all, and we will see you in Lent. Bye.